That doesn't go there. Who the hell are you? Please put those down and step away from the panel right now. The hell I will. This is Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast devoted to the TV we're obsessed with. And right now, that's The Expanse. I'm Jonathan Gitlin, and this week I'm joined by Jennifer Hahn, our extremely competent video editor, who has also been responsible for editing all of these podcasts you've been listening to. Hi Jennifer, how are you doing? And I've been listening to them too. In fact, you get to listen to them before anyone else. I do, I do, I do. Is there lots of terrible stuff on the cutting room floor? <laughs> there are, there's a lot of repetitive stuff, but I didn't cut anything out. I don't cut anything out of the conversations. Only anything that's repetitive. So, you, so we've only had read the books once, people, as I try and sneak that into almost every week. Read the books, people. Read the books. I might have taken out some spoilery stuff, actually, now that I think of it. So trying not to spoil the TV show, we're trying not to spoil anybody's enjoyment. Okay, so the episode this week, episode 12, was the monster in the rocket. So things that happened this week. We saw Sadavir Ehrenreich finally make his pay. This enzyme could be genetically tailored for one recipient. Absorbed instantly through the skin without a trace. Cardiac arrest. An act of God. Obviously, he was uh, going to be left holding the bag in the absence of Jules-Pierre Mao, because he was the man on the inside that helped, helped Jules almost... Almost wipe out life on Earth. He played that one really nicely. He oh, did. feel sorry for me. Oh. Yeah, I don't know about you. I was, you know, when you saw him write the letter to his son uh -huh. and then look at that little file, it was like, well, okay, so we, we all know where this, this is going. Yeah. And oh, nope, wow. not at all. I did not see that coming. I really thought he was going to be that guy, mm -hmm. that good guy. I'm, I'm kind of glad the writers went that way. They really, truly fooled me. I think that's a pretty big departure from the, from the novels. I don't remember. People can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember that happening in the book. That's interesting. That's a big deal. Yeah, because he's, so he's, I mean, he's killed his opposite number from the Martian delegation. Where would they go from here? I mean, Avasarala is sort of stuck on that ship now. And you'll remain in the middle, benefiting from both, somehow loyal to both. It's that simple. A lovely thought. I think the fallout from, from his involvement in the protomolecule is still going to doom him. But I think taking out the Martian, so maybe the, maybe the Martian plan for the protomolecule is, is dead in the water? Well, I don't know. Somehow I see uh, uh, Captain uh, Holden coming in mm -hmm. to save the day <laughs> because of what happened with him on, uh, on Ganymede. He's, Holy uh, cow. <laughs> he's gone full Ahab. <laughs> full Ahab. I'm going to back us up and ease us out. No, you're not. Keep going. All right, you want to talk about this for a second? Again why this might be kind of personal for you. Good. So let's not overthink it. His, his obsession with destroying the protomolecule, it's clouding his judgment now. Definitely a misguided uh, obsession. Because, yeah, that protomolecule humanoid was not even on Eros. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just sort of created out of a, an innocent child, which is what they're suspecting. And he just wants to murder it. I mean, he's, he's still proving that he's just a child. Still, so he's a very young man with very little experience in, in yeah, the universe. Yeah, he's an extremely naive character. Very naive. He doesn't know how to deal with that. That thing is not the enemy. You're right. We, we were discussing this earlier, but the protomolecule is just a thing, and it's the people behind it and how they're using it that's the real threat, which, which Holden, yeah, I don't so know, not grasping. I can see him coming in and, and being that savior on Earth, but maybe it's going to be Bobby. I mean, she's turning into a very interesting character mm -hmm. as well. 
I don't know. She's also incredibly immature and has yep. no idea how to deal with anything other than being a soldier. And now that she's not a soldier, she's running into the, the, the fancy ship and eating cucumber sandwiches because she's never had them before. I mean, that was hilarious. Yeah, I think some, some of my favorite scenes, I think, in this week's episode were when we got to see, we got to see what the inside of your spaceship looks like if you're a gazillionaire. So that was Jules Pierre Mao's private yes. yacht. In some of the books, in, I think it was the last but one, they went into quite a lot of detail about some similar gazillionaire's private yacht and how instead of like the anti-spalling fabric they have inside to stop punctures, you know, it's all beautiful tapestries. And I think we saw that in, in his ship and, you know, the wood paneling everywhere, there's amazing couches. And yeah, they had that, what was, was it, the samurai, samurai, samurai arm in the back. In the back. back. Yep. Wow. And a hologram with some horses. That was a pretty incredible ship. That reminded me of Battlestar Galactica mm -hmm. and the private ships that were part of that fleet that they brought together. They, they commandeered, yep. The fancy ship mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, where they had um, the dome. Uh, yeah, and the rich people had their own ships and that uh, definitely reminded me of Battlestar Galactica. On the other end of the scale, we got to see what happens if your ship is kind of junkyard, like the, the weeping sonambulist, with, which Naomi managed to get running. But then they have this terrible problem of, you know, you've only, there's, over a hundred people who need to get off Ganymede, and they've only got air for 52. I'll make her talk. 52 people! Help me save that many! Oh man, that was a heartbreaking experience. I mean, that you kind of knew that was coming, and that was another Battlestar Galactica situation, mm -hmm. which created an entire, like, I guess that went through the entire series that, that has ripple effect, and this will have a ripple effect through this series, I'm pretty sure of leaving people behind and um, you could see how what kind of person Naomi is. She's going out on her own now. I'm curious, that, that also I think is a departure from, I don't remember that happening at the end of Caliban's War. And I think she's going to rejoin, I think, I, I imagine she's going to rejoin the Rossi. I think, I think they have to get the gang back together. Um, but she does go off on her own as in not following orders anymore yes. of, of her captain, which is unusual for her. Amos still is under her control. And there's going to be, so if we do follow the books, there's, there's a story, her character arc is going to take her away from the Rossi at some point. And there's, there's, we're going to find out a lot more about her backstory in the OPA, which I won't say anything more now because obviously spoilers, but. Well, we um, already know she had a child yep, who died yep. and she didn't. Well. Well, she said it. She has a the, child that was taken away from her. Okay. Which well, is not the same. She's, she didn't go back to get the child or, or fight for her child, and that's, that's been her... I don't know if it's going to be season three or if we have to wait till season five, but that is, that's definitely going to be a major plot I hope point. it's next season because they brought it up in this season, mm -hmm. so you would hope that something would come of that because if you go too far into the future, you're going to forget about it and it's not going to be very uh, useful. So yeah, hopefully we'll find out a little bit more about that. And I think the, the actress, uh, Dominique Tipper, we interviewed her a few episodes ago, and she mentioned her character's gonna really have some challenges going out on her own and possibly beyond the season. Yeah, that scene, not even her part of the scene, but her part with that big ape, mm -hmm. that, that guy who showed what kind of people the Belters were. Every single one of you knew you were certain on the day you were born. Our life is hard, so let's be tough and do what needs to be done. That, exactly. That was incredible. There was, yep, there was so much pathos in those scenes and, you know, the fact that people realized that, you know, not everyone was going to get off and belters are tough and, you know, we're better than everyone else so you can show the universe how belters live kind of thing. Yeah, and that they listened to him mm -hmm. and they stepped back and they, that was a pretty powerful scene. 
that he could stop them panicking by thinking of their pride. And then he, of course, gives up his seat after doing all this work to get the seat. Yep. He gives it up, and that's very, very cool. It makes you want to know more about the Belters. And I'm sure we'll hear more about the Belters in the future. That made me cry, that scene. Yeah, I, I, I teared up a little bit <laughs> I watching tear, it. I teared up. I'm a weepy girl. <laughs> I, get, I get all weepy at the end of these things. Hey, that's, that's, I don't think that's. I don't think that's just a, a female trait. I, no, t- TV TV makes me cry too. Yeah, it was an emotional thing. It was very well done. The scene was very well structured. Build up to that. Mm-hmm. It was very well built up. Um, but yeah, I don't know how our, our Ahab is going to proceed at this point. I mean, is he going to? Just keep ignoring poor Prax and keep going to try to kill. Well, I think be Prax's child. So, I mean, obviously, you know, as the as you saw the closing shot, you saw there was something shimmery stuck to the outside of the Rosi. So, I think that's um, that's obviously a, some some proto molecule. I don't know, mm. I don't know whether it's necessarily the alien or not alien, the the creature. Let's call it. Part um, of it, or a piece that it threw at it, or something like that. Obviously, we we didn't get to see what was happening on Venus this week, but I think next week with the final episode, we're gonna we're gonna find out what was going on down there. We need to find out what's going on with Miller. Yep. If he's still alive, because he could be. The ship was weird, but he's probably so, not. <laughs> so I think I think Miller's dead, but I do, but I don't. Yeah. At the same time, we haven't seen the last of him. But is he Miller as a human? He could be. He's obviously dead, but as a sort of bonded with the proto-molecule mm-hmm. before he landed, right? So we saw that happen and in the form of a kiss. That yeah. didn't make me cry, I must say. That was the a kiss. little cheesy, but... <laughs> they only saw a glimpse of what was going on. There was just a big crater, right? Mm-hmm. They only saw that, like, for two seconds. So, yeah, it's, it's obviously he, he's dead. Yes, when a rock hits Venus traveling at the speed it did. It was a thing that the showrunner, Naren Shankar, didn't like about one of those scenes. Yes, there was a thing from last week that to do with the transit times and it was uh, Alex's slingshot that Oh, it was a slingshot. He did not like the fact that they chose an actual rock, an actual wherever it was in proximity to Ganymede. Oh, yes. But it was way too far for him to actually do that move. Yep. Right? Yeah, they would have preferred, I think part of that was he would have preferred it to have been much closer so they could, you know, just have had a more reasonable... So this whole thing should not have been able to happen. Nope. <laughs> but they're, they're doing a pretty good job, I think. I mean, it's... I, I know lots of people, you know, it's like the the fact that it is relatively hard sci-fi... It um, is. ...is is a good thing. And, we, and that seems to tie together some of the things we like about sci-fi from the past, right? Yeah, sci-fi from the past is stuff that I've... It made me think of what shows do people watch that influenced them to watch The Expanse? Because there are a lot of people who are like, oh, maybe too hard sci-fi for me. I like sci-fi, but I don't know about that. The shows that I watched when I was a kid, like Land of the Lost, I mentioned, that was weird. That wasn't really that much sci-fi, but things like Lost in Space, Buck Rogers, the old Battlestar Galactica, those are all very present in these Mm -hmm. shows because they're all made by people who are probably my age, who've watched those shows yep. in their youth. So it's all about those characters, the bringing together of all those different storylines. It's just such a wonderful thing. I mean, I love that they've departed from Buck Rogers' old Battlestar and, uh, and Lost in Space from just the one core group, and we branched out into this like wonderful world of cast, like these huge cast like the Avasarala and the Earth and the Mars people and the Belters and the Rossi crew. But they, they haven't gone too far out of Right, they haven't control. fallen into the Game of Thrones trap where you have so many subplots that you have to keep 
going back to that you get like one scene for one group and one scene for another group and you know it, it becomes difficult to keep track i think the showrunners of the, you know the people behind the expanse have done a good job of keeping it more cohesive is the, are the books uh, similar like cohesive or they go um, off a little bit they, they do jump around a bit, and I think part of that actually is the way, I think that's the way that Dan and Ty write it, is they'll write different characters. So it's always told from the point of view of a character, and they'll choose different characters to tell the stories from, and like they'll trade, so one of them will write one set of stories, and I presume they agree on the plot beforehand, otherwise you maybe end up writing yourself into corners, but... Yeah, like I mentioned probably the worst case of that I've ever seen is the, the show Heroes, which... Started out fantastic, and then became a hot mess. And that became mess. probably one of the worst <laughs> superhero shows ever. Because, I, and I feel bad saying that because I really did like it, mm -hmm. and it was so wonderfully woven together. And then you just kept adding characters and adding them and adding them, and not resolving their storylines. And that's the thing that that viewers need mm -hmm. so badly is, yeah, we don't need it to be resolved immediately, but we. We need to. Yeah. We need resolution. You have to know where the story's going yeah. before you start telling it. Some I think. little part of it. Yeah, you do and have to know. So I think because the books are written and it's a guide for where you know the expanse has that. It's something that Babylon Five I think did really well. In mm -hmm. addition to so one one thing I like about Babylon Five was you know they had quite realistic space combat that was unlike you know Tie Fighters flying around in space. It was it, it took orbital mechanics and gravity into account, um, which I think something the expanse does. But also it has. You know, there's a story arc, and they know where, where they're going. Oh, yeah. And that's a show that you loved, right? Oh, it was one of my favorite shows. Probably my favorite show ever. I've seen it probably about seven times. All the way through? All the way that, through. That's, that is commitment. I watched it once a year for about seven years. And I watched it, of course, the first time, like when it was on. But it, then, I, yeah, then I bought one. They finally came out with the DVDs. I amassed the DVDs eventually, and then I started watching them over and over. Straczynski who wrote it, he knew the whole arc mm -hmm. in his head. He knew exactly where he wanted it to go. It got a little strange, like sort of in the, around the fourth season because mm -hmm. they didn't think they were going to be renewed. Yep. So they, they brought it to this strange conclusion. There were confusion with actors and things. So the final season was a little bit odd, but he knew always knew exactly where it was going to go. And it, that's a wonderful gift to have for a show when you have where it starts a million years in the past and he ends it a million years in the future. Mm -hmm. I and mean, that was just the coolest thing ever. And it was so well formed and, and he took all of his characters, the characters that proved for me that his, all of his characters had wonderful character arcs individually, where two of the characters in it, the Jakar and Lando, which are two characters that are not the main characters. But, but, they're, they're, some the the, best, but they're some of the best characters. They're some of the best characters in the show. And they go throughout the entire show and they have the most interesting arc of any characters in the show, not the, the main guy or the main people. The wonderful arc of minor characters mm -hmm. that he did through that is wonderful. And that's what doing through this. I mean, we only just met Prax, uh, Recently, and we already know so much about him. And I mean, you don't you don't want to know everything about your characters immediately. You want to reveal that slowly, like we're doing with Naomi and Amos. We found out yeah. a bit bit more about Koitar. On your morals, you sit low enough to be a spy. It's good training for politics. No wonder you ended up in her world. Actually, got her son killed. So, oh, yeah. who's uh, Avasarala's spy. Yes, that was an interesting scene. I love the way that he's the only person, really, who will talk back to her. You know, he gives her as much shit as she gives him. And today we found out, I guess, some of the backstory and, you know, like, apparently he was, he was working in military intelligence and he says he was responsible for her son getting killed. Which is really interesting whether 
she knows that or not. I, I mean, think I she wonder. does. I mean, she trusts think, him I, implicitly. I'm pretty sure she does know. But, yeah, I, that made me wonder, does she know or not? Like, does he? why would he share this anyway? He's, he's professional military intelligence, so I assume she does know this. But, but yeah, that's an interesting storyline. So why would she trust him so much if he was the person that got her son killed? I'd love to know a little more about mm -hmm. that story. You were this because you betrayed your oath. Is that a habit for you? That would be polite, but I'm short on time. I have never crossed anyone first. But burn me in mind and I'll go through you like a door. It seems like he and Bobby are going to make a, make a team going forward, backing up Avasarala. Just tell me it's not a love story, because that would piss Well, me so off. he wasn't, yeah, I don't know, because he wasn't really in the books. So, oh. so in the books, her son dies in a skiing accident. So certainly not as much of a character as he is in the show. Um, so yeah, this is, that's all, that's all off, off the page for me. So I'm, I'm learning as much as everyone else. Well, that's interesting. That's very well done then. He sort of fit right in there. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned the fact that, you know, when a show has time to tell a whole story. The other side of things is when shows don't get renewed or you don't get enough episodes and where Ascension. Oh, I love that show. It was great. It was another great look at, you know, Sort of a relatively hard sci-fi look at you know living out in the solar system about a generation ship. Yeah, from what the fifties they were yep. living in the fifties. Yep. That was so cool. And we only got six episodes, and then and then it stopped. And I would love to see more about that story because the, the the twist in that show I thought was was fantastic. I'm very interested in that type of thing and that that sort of generational thing that we go out to space and form a new a, a new world, mm -hmm. a new generation, a new society. I'm super interested in that type of sci-fi. You might like the Neil Stevenson book, Seven Eves, which came out a couple of years ago. So at the beginning of the book, the moon explodes, and then all the bits of the moon rain down on Earth, and basically, so people know about it, and they have like two years to prepare. So some people can escape, and then they, you know, I think it's like a, maybe there's a hundred people get off, and then it follows them kind of trying to establish humanity. And then the last third of the book, a lot of people don't like, but that jumps forward like 5,000 years into the future and you can see what humanity's become as they you know, have to live among the stars. Um, but there was a neat thing in, in that book where people became different tribes. But there was one tribe where they, growing up, they didn't tell anyone that they were living in space until they got to like, I don't know, seven years old. And the way they told you was by giving you a spacesuit and like go on your first spacewalk and like they've never mentioned that you know you're in outer space and then just like they expose you to you know this empty nothingness around you and some people's minds broke and then you know if your mind didn't break you became a useful member of society I guess. Wow but that, that was, sounds uh, like what they might have done with belters too. Yep. Didn't they d discuss that about just throwing them out there and when they had to put those things on and they just like threw them out they had to do zero g stuff and they just Screw it. Uh, you have no choice, man. And, unless you're Detective Miller. He was, uh, he was a city belter, so he never, had never gone on a spacewalk before. Privileged belter there. That's not something you'd assume that there was a privileged belter, but... <laughs> <laughs> it came out two years ago. There was that book. There was... Part of this, we've had this rash of kind of belter fiction. There was, there was Seven Eves. There was Kim Stanley Robinson's book, Aurora, which was about a mission to... They were going to Tau Ceti, I think, or maybe Alpha Centauri or Proxima Centauri. Anyway, they were going to a close star to try and see if they could settle there. Um, that was also about a you know, long-term space voyage. Obviously, there are the Expanse books. We were discussing something that's 
probably a spoiler that it was Carl Sagan's books, maybe some of the books that he's written. Yeah, there's an aspect coming up. I think the return of Miller's going to have some contact-ish. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in, in finding out what their specific influences are. I mean, I know my influences for liking the show are things like Babylon 5 and Battlestar Galactica and Deep Space Nine. And for me, it was like Buck Rogers, you know, that was my favorite show. And Were you a fan of Tweaky? Beady, 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 beady. I hated Tweet. Did you? I loved Buck. I was in love with Buck. Uh-huh. A, a Gil Sherrod fan. It was a fantastic show for little kids. I mean, it's terrible now, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I've watched shows over now. Have you done that? Gone back to your childhood shows and you're horrified at, at how bad they were? A, a while back on, on Lee Hutchinson's advice, because it was gonna, we were thinking about trying to write something about this. I was a big fan of Automan. I don't know if you remember that show. So at the time, it was uh, mid-80s, it was about, it, it was shortly after Tron, so I guess it was the kind of early 80s. Um, and at the time, apparently, it was the most expensive TV show in production because they had a lot of computer graphics when computer graphics was in its infancy. Um, the premise for Automan was they had a computer mainframe that at night, because it had to be at night, because during the day, I guess people were using too much power and the computer didn't have enough power to like manifest this, but he, did he interface with the computer? Or some, someone listening to this will remember, I can't, I, anyway. He could turn into this kind of pixelated character and he had this card that would appear out of nowhere, which was a, a Lamborghini Countach that I thought was very cool. And the story, I guess, behind that was that the producer had bought this Lamborghini. And then obviously by using it in the show, presumably that became like a business expense and he could write it off. But anyway, so I, I absolutely adored the show as a little kid. I thought that was best. He was capitalizing on Tron a little bit. Oh, that's right. Tron was about yeah. 80, 82? Tron was like 82. 82. And this, this was probably 83. Oh, so this was mid-80s. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it was around the same time as shows like Street Hawk and Knight Rider and... There were Automan episodes on YouTube, so I decided, you know, hey, I'm, I loved this show as a kid. I'm going to sit down and, and I think I made it through like two episodes and then it was just like, this is garbage. I can't keep watching this. Oh, that's terrible. In fact, oh. in fact, I have some notes here from, from my, <laughs> let's see. I managed to watch, I managed to watch two episodes. Yeah. So the plot, I guess, was preposterous. Let's say here, kidnap workers as an alternative to gardening leave in the Alps, hot and cold running bikinis. Not quite sure what that means, and I'm not going to watch it again to find out. Yeah, probably uh, not a good idea. Patrick McNee, I guess, was in it. He was obviously in the Avengers, the, the wow. UK Avengers, not the Thor. Yes. Let's see, episode two. I have some notes here. He can reprogram his looks, apparently. He told a slot machine what to do, and it talked back to him. And then informants unreliable, like computers. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, all I know is Automan absolutely did not stand up to a rewatch. Wow. Street Hawk actually didn't really stand up to, to repeated viewing either. That was, that was not a show that aged well either. No, that's I, very bad. But I think the TV of today, I think... It's all based out of, of that. But I think should, should do lot, a lot better yeah. 10 years, 20 years from now. There are a couple of shows that I've wanted to watch that are not even in print. I've had to buy them from somebody who's ripped a DVD from a VHS because I, I was so curious Anything about particular? certain shows. Um, and did it turn out well? No. Oh. <laughs> no. There's one show that it, it did turn out well, but it wasn't from that far back. It was from the 90s, but um, one called G versus E uh, on sci-fi. It was when sci-fi was just starting out, and they mm -hmm. got this really bizarre good versus evil show. It was about a guy who was, uh, he, he died, and he was killed in an alley by some you know random mugger. And he dies, but he, he comes back to Earth as like an angel for this this core so not like that show with michael landon where he was no, an angel this is more like it's this is or george funny. burns this is okay. very snarky and funny and weird 
and uh, he comes back. There's the they, I think they call it the core or something, and they work for heaven. And the, and the god, god or a manifestation of god is Deacon Jones, who just recently died. It was very sad. So, you know, Deacon Jones is god, which is awesome. And it's very retro 70s kind of style and music. And it's weird. And it's they have to fight evil on earth. And they're not allowed to see their families. They're not allowed to have sex. That's a lot of comedy. But that actually held up well, though that was from the 90s. It wasn't that old. But one that really did not hold up was uh, one called Tales of the Gold Monkey. I remember that. I love that show because it was like Indiana Jones. It used to be in the UK. It used to be a Sunday afternoon TV show. I'm pretty sure it was on Sunday afternoons. Yeah, and it was. It was like I in think the... here it was a Sunday, like at seven or <laughs> something like that. And it was so cool for little kids. I mean, there was this guy who was like Indiana Jones. He flew a plane. He had a, a guy. His sidekick was a drunk who was like drinking beer. Like you don't see that on TV no. these days. Total drunk, drunk all the time. That the Nazis were the enemy. You had all these crazy Japanese people. It was during World War II. It was insane, like the concept. So I went back to it and I realized, how, oh my God, how bad it was. There was a, the first episode, you see Nazis going into a jungle. They're wearing these cheesy outfits and the monkeys come out and attack them and they're all men in ape suits. <laughs> and it was just the cheapest, most horrible. And the, the, the trees are all fake and plastic. You know, what? even though most people are thinking that sounds terrible, I'm actually, I might have to go and watch like at least an episode of that. I'm going to see if I, I can't can, can find I, it is anywhere. It, it's not even on YouTube. I can try to rip it, but I've, somebody who r ripped the DVD for me did some, like damaged the disc. So I can't even copy off a disc. Maybe, maybe doing humanity a favor. Yeah, but I, I could try to share it with you, but it, it's so, yeah, I totally, it's nowhere to be found. It's in IMDb, but it's not. Yeah, and the same thing with G versus E. Sci-Fi has never released it. Uh, I don't know why, because I think it's hilarious. It's actually one of the funniest, weirdest shows I've ever seen. There's something. There's there's a an orange Volvo in there that you would love. It's classic orange Volvo, driven by a very tall man with a big afro and it's just the most wonderful thing i'm gonna have to try and track this show down because it sounds awesome for shows some of these uh these old sci-fi is like i guess g versus z isn't really sci-fi it's more like fantasy kind of good and evil but it's very funny and very strange and deacon jones is god i mean you i don't know if you know who deacon jones is he was a football player no okay so no He's i don't a, know a, 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 an American NFL football player. Yeah, in that case, if it's not yeah. OJ or no, Joe it's Namath, not. He's, that's... He is definitely not OJ. <laughs> he was a, or Joe Namath. <laughs> no, he's not Joe either. He was actually he's brilliant. got to see it. He's just so funny in the role. Sci-Fi always has some, some gems. I mean, there's been, there's been some shows recently. They had, they had a show, which I don't know whether you've seen, called Incorporated, that was set, I don't know, a few decades from now when climate change has ravaged the US and the corporations have taken over. And it was quite a good look at, you know, there's been uh, there's lots of fiction about, you know, the, you know, even going back to that great video game syndicate where the, the corporate, you know, the corporations rule things, you know, and if you're not a corporate person, you know, you're on the outside. That, I think, that show had, had some great depictions of sort of near future tech. It's one of the things I like about The Expanse, again, you know, they've, they've done, done good things there. Uh, Dennis Haysbert was in it. I'm hoping that she, again, I don't know if that show is coming back for another season. Well, you, you said recently you saw Occupert or Occupied. Yes. That was an interesting show. I don't think a lot of people have seen that. And that's on Netflix. It is on Netflix. It's a Norwegian show. So you, 
people will need to read subtitles, yeah, but it's Norway. extremely worth it. I highly recommend looking at Norway for some shows. I mean, they have Occupied, and they have the one with Little Steven <laughs> about Little. It's called Lily Hammer. Mm -hmm. That's not spelled per correctly, but it's how Americans say it, so that's why they named it Lily Hammer. And a very funny show about a mobster from New Jersey who hides out in Norway. Huh. And it's hilarious. Those are three seasons, and I think it's over now, but it's a very funny show. And, uh, and there's Fortitude. And there's Fortitude, which, which is a, it's kind of a UK-Norwegian hybrid. Joint, yeah, it's a joint, joint. joint production. And it's very, oh man, I, I think I wrote about it, so you'll see a review. It's coming on uh, Amazon uh, on Friday, I believe, the second season. So the first season is already on Amazon Prime. Um, that show had a weird twist at the end of the first season. Because you thought it was going in one direction, and then it kind of got all sci-fi towards the end. It's, yeah, Fortitude is a really sick, crazy show. I highly recommend it because it's creepy as hell. But the uh, like Occupied is really interesting because they, they, that's very near mm -hmm. kind of future, and it's, it's based on uh, Norway creating and implementing clean energy yep, 100%. They yep, they decide to stop yeah, stop and, oil production. Right, and, and that kind of relates to what's going on now. Like the Green Party gets power in the government and they just say, we're going to do this. Yep. Kind of like what's happening in the world right now, of at least in the U.S. and in the U.K. And yeah, they're just saying, we're going to cut off all oil production and use... Clean energy and and you know the oil producers. Well, they, they, not yeah, so they, happy. Well, well, it's the oil. It's the, it's the EU. The yeah. EU they cuts off the EU's oil, so they tell so they, they the EU gets the Russians to invade. Yeah, and the Russians invade, and that's what the occupied uh, is about. It's it's very compelling, though. I mean, the the one person, the head of the Green Party, the Prime Minister, mm -hmm. is the one who's at the center of all this, who made this decision, and he's an interesting character because you think he's going to be this weakling. And he, he's uh, he's a very interesting character to follow. I don't want to say too much more because the, would, they're, uh, they're also, the characters actually in that show are also um, so three dimensional. Yeah. I think that was one of the things that you know the, the the characterization in that I thought was was brilliant. That you know people had complex motives for doing things, as you say. Like the prime minister is you know he's not just one thing. You know you have the the cop who's like one of the lead characters. Um, you know he's there's a lot of depth to all of them. And that's not, in, it's implausible, but not entirely implausible, the whole situation. It's a lot of it, of course, the technology is not quite there. There is a technology of that sort existing, but it's not in, you know, actually functional yet in, in that scale. But it is an actual... Um, a thorium there's a, reactor. There's a thorium reactor, and that there's a concept of that, and there's a something working, but it's not in a scale that it can be used right now. And that's, and that's also a show where, where some of us are praying for a second season. Yes. I mean, it was the most expensive production ever in Norway. and uh, Which is probably a low bar to clear. Yeah. Well, no. It <laughs> was not, very expensive. It was a 90 million. Wow. Maybe. Uh, I can't say. I think it was the equivalent of 90 million dollars. Wow. That's a huge. Okay. So that's, that's expensive yes. for any TV. Yes. So the, the problem with Norway, though, is that Norway funds, uh, the government funds a lot of the, the at least most of the arts mm -hmm. there. So, you know, if you want to make a film, go to Norway. They fund you pretty much completely. They're that very even, good with funding. That so. even gets referred to in the show because there's a journalist who uh, is critical and they, they, the government minister at one point tells him, hey, you know, we're paying you all this money to write. Why don't you write some nice stuff about us for a change? Exactly. So they're paying for the arts. So the people were pretty angry about that. So this is not just a, a company spending a lot of money on a production. It's, a, it's the whole country is investing in this. And it didn't really get to the other side of the, the globe, really. I, I mean, 
I think it's fantastic, and I saw it on Netflix, and and I'm I'm surprised that it hasn't been a bigger had a bigger audience, but. You know, just like The Expanse, I'm, I'm surprised it doesn't have a, as big an audience as, say, Battlestar Galactica. But I, I guess Battlestar Galactica, it didn't have a huge audience at the start, although we did have a previous series that right. people knew about. Yep. And they were looking forward to this. For So fans that were like me as a kid watching that. We there, there was an inbuilt constituency yeah, for Yeah, we already had that, that audience. So I guess The Expanse, maybe it just needs another season to really catch on. Because I can see it. It's got momentum, but it's still not the the big hit that sci-fi, I guess, was expecting out of it based on the Battlestar Galactica crowd. Right. But, but I, I definitely, uh, I'm so, I was so glad to see that it was renewed, renewed mm-hmm. for season three. And they need, like, I guess, um, my favorite Babylon 5 needed five seasons. You need that clear, you know, arc. It gets you... Maybe this is not an issue these days, but you know there was always like the syndication hump that you had to. It was what you had to have like a hundred shows, a hundred episodes, and then they could syndicate your show. The Expanse with thirteen episodes in a season, probably not going to get there. But certainly, I'd like to see. I mean, there's you know there's six books so far, and there's I think going to be nine in total. So I'd like to see nine seasons of The Expanse. Yeah, yeah. That might be asking a bit much, but we're getting nine seasons of Game of Thrones, um, right? Isn't it nine or eight? I think it's I think it's eight, right? Because they're it's gonna. Eight. But there's gonna be abbreviated yeah. six episodes or something like that. I'm looking forward to it. So, join us next week for the last one of these as we wrap up season two of The Expanse. And and if you want to get ahead and actually work out what's gonna go on in in the next season, you know you can always just read the books. You've been listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast about all the television that we're obsessing about. So be here next week and we'll talk some more.